Let us pray. Lord, as we remember the baptism of our Lord, we recall the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove, anointing him as the Christ to bring good news to the poor and proclaim release to the captives, to restore sight to the blind and free the oppressed. As we open your holy scriptures to read and proclaim them, we pray that you would open our eyes and free our minds to receive the word you have for us this day. Amen. Our scripture is Mark 1, verses 4 through 11. John, the baptizer, appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As Patty has just said, this is Baptism of the Lord Sunday, the time in the liturgical year when we remember and celebrate the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan, when the power of the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. But as is sometimes the case, events in the world have risen up and swallowed up uh, things that we might have thought that we would talk about, and this is one of those weeks. The pastoral networks uh, of which I am a part have all been saying the same types of things over the last four or five days. And that is that we are remembering one another, anyone who is called upon uh, to read and proclaim the Word of God on a day like today has a fairly momentous task before them. And for that reason, I am grateful that we have as our scripture this morning uh, the first words of the Bible, in many ways the bedrock of everything that we believe. And we are going to try something a little different this morning and um, Reverend Liv McGregor Simmons has agreed to participate in this with me. Uh, I will probably not do this well, uh, but I am going to do my best to read the first five verses of Genesis in the language of their origin in Hebrew. And the reasons for this are several. First, Hebrew is an incredibly poetic language. And I think you will hear that as you hear this read. But I also think it is a reminder that what we lean on today has very, very ancient roots. So here now, uh, in both Hebrew and in English, 
the first five verses of Genesis 1. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim va'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, va'aretz hayeta tohu vavohu. The earth was a formless void. Vahoshek al pene ta'om. And darkness covered the face of the deep. Veruach Elohim mirahepet al pene hamayim. While a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Veyomer Elohim vehi or. Then God said, Let there be light. Vayehi or. And there was light. Vayar Elohim et haor kitov. And God saw that the light was good. Vayabdel Elohim ben haor uben hahoshek. And God separated the light from the darkness. Vayikra Elohim laor. God called the light day. Velahoshek kara leyela. And the darkness he called night. Vayehi erev. And there was evening. Vayehi voker. And there was morning. Yom ehad. The first day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you have just heard, these first words about first things are deeply poetic, especially in their original language. But the words and the symbolism are powerful and sweeping, which makes it even easier for us to picture the Spirit of God powerfully sweeping over the face of the primordial waters. And it's notable that this epic poem of creation begins not with nothingness, but with formlessness. The earth, the verses say, was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. That is what the Lord looked down upon. That is what the Lord had to contend with. And that is what the Lord grabbed hold of. I'll never forget the first time we read this passage in its original language when my Hebrew professor paused over the word for the deep. He noted that the noun tom, which refers to the abyss, reflects some ancient Hebrew onomatopoeia, which means the word itself imitates the sound that you would hear And I thought it was the sound you would hear if you leaned over a deep well and you uttered down into its depths a contemplative om. The very sound of the word suggests that there are scary and mysterious things lurking down there. Things like sea monsters, frigid cold, darkness, despair, and death. The tome represents an inhabitable darkness, the opposite of any place that we would want to go. 
and the reality above the surface was not much better. It was tohu vavohu. It was a formless void or waste, emptiness. Or to say it another way would be a word that Lib has already used this morning, chaos. There was no structure. There was no order. There were no rules, just mayhem. Now, I don't think it's coincidence that this scripture is the one that pops up in the lectionary today. Just a few days after the events of January 6, 2021, do you think it could be happenstance that on this Lord's Day we would be talking about darkness, mayhem, lawlessness and chaos, a rule, a world without rule, a world without order. No, this is not coincidence because these are the things that we saw in Washington this week. The center of our democratic union, the house of we the people, the bastion of our collective experiment on the rule of law was assaulted invaded and vandalized by chaos, gleeful lawlessness, unrepentant rage and entitlement. It was, as many have already said, a dark day for our democracy. But this is what happens when truth is pliable and even dispensable. This is what happens when lies find dark corners in which to root and sprout. Because if those footholds remain, and if good people don't root them out and decry their evil, they will grow. Those lies in the darkness are repeated again and again in the shadows beyond the reach of the light of day. And with each passing whisper, that gnarly vine grows and twists and grows some more, and soon unwanted fruit begins to form. Rage, resentment, and a thirst for vengeance. What I'm talking about is the toom, the deep well of dark things, the formless waste which is the antithesis of God, which contends against the good. It's the same reality that brought the Apostle Paul to his knees and made him cry out, who will rescue me from this body of death? During my time as a pastor, I've encountered, encountered some difficult challenges in ministry, but there was one in particular that had really stumped me. I could see a situation developing, but try as I might, I had not been able to envision a good way through the thicket. And I decided to turn to one of my most faithful mentors, Dr. Vernon Hunter, a retired pastor who had led churches through the civil rights era in the Deep South. Vernon had stared down darkness that I could only imagine. So I called him up and I laid out the situation as best I could and he listened patiently and very thoughtfully to what I had to say. And then in the most compassionate way, he confirmed my suspicion that there was really only one way to go. You have to lift the lid, he said. 
You have to talk openly about what is happening and why you think it is wrong. I don't see any other way. You have to lift the lid. It was solid advice in a number of ways. Back in 1913, lawyer Louis Brandeis, who later became a highly respected justice of the United States Supreme Court, wrote a series of articles in Harper's Weekly that supported the new progressivism of his political ally, President Woodrow Wilson. And the most enduring statement from those articles, and certainly the most quoted, is this. Sunlight is said to be the best of disinfectants, electric light the most efficient policeman. Actually, the book that Brandeis was citing in his article may have made the point even more succinctly. In the American Commonwealth, author James Bryce had written this, selfishness, injustice, cruelty, tricks, and jobs of all sorts shun the light. To expose them is to defeat them. In other words, lift the lid. Nothing sends negativity running better than light. If you want to weaken the hold that a sickness has on the body, exposing it to the light is the best medicine. It is solid homespun wisdom. But more importantly for us as people of faith, Vernon's advice is also thoroughly biblical. In fact, we could say, and I would say, that it was and is the first act of God's wisdom. The first words uttered by the God of the universe were, let there be light. It was the first act on the first day. And I don't want to get too deep into ancient cosmology, but it was like God was lifting the lid on that first day. The ancients saw the created universe as a bounded space. It had a top, it had a bottom, and it had sides. To the priestly poets who penned the first chapter of Genesis, the firmament was a fixed dome over creation. So in the beginning, the world was like a boiling crock pot. Chaos was bubbling and churning in the dark soup of the waters until God decided to lift the lid and turn on the light. And at that moment, creation began to have a purpose. A new order began to emerge, and God saw it the first evening, the first morning, the first day and it was good. Much later, Jesus, who was there in the beginning, would share the wisdom of that first moment with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who came to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He too was tossing and turning in confusion, so he sought Jesus for some answers. This is the judgment, Jesus said to Nicodemus that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So Vernon's advice not only made good common sense, it made rock-solid biblical sense too. If a situation is chaotic or broken or needs to be fixed, sometimes the only thing you can do is lift the lid and turn on the lights. And just as it did in the beginning, it exposes acts and motives that would prefer to remain hidden because they derive their power from the dark. Sunlight really is the best disinfectant, and those who want the truth will welcome the light so that it may be clearly seen that they are wanting to be with God. For good or ill, and I am hoping that it is very much for the good, the lid was lifted this week in our nation. The explosion of anger and lawless violence on January 6th exposed an illness that has been boiling in dark corners of our society probably for centuries, and we got a glimpse down into a deep pot of dysfunction. We peered down in the Tom, a deep well in our culture where some scary and sinister things have been living. That's actually how pastor and author Barbara Brown Taylor defines darkness. Darkness, she says, and I'm quoting here, is shorthand for anything that scares me, that I want no part of, either because I am sure that I do not have the resources to survive it or because I do not want to find out. The absence of God is in there, along with the fear of dementia and the loss of those nearest and dearest to me, So is the melting of polar ice caps, the suffering of children, and the nagging question of what it will feel like to die. If I had my way, I would eliminate everything from chronic back pain to the fear of the devil from my life and the lives of those I love if I could just find the right nightlights to leave on. Now, my prayer today is that we will look back on Wednesday, January 6th, 2021, as a great wake-up call, as the time when finally the lights were switched on and we can begin to reclaim a decency that we have somehow lost, and we can begin to build a better and more just order in our nation. And if that happens... Perhaps we will be reminded that lifting the lid and switching on the lights can disinfect all kinds of illnesses that are plaguing us as individuals, as a community, and as the church of Jesus Christ. Since that is my hope, I want to end with a word of encouragement. This word, too, is based both on common sense and the firm foundation of biblical truth. 
Returning to these first ancient words from Genesis, we see that the dawning of the light did not end the darkness. And God did not just name the light, God also gave the darkness a name. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So we would be remiss if we failed to observe that the first day of the universe began in the dark. It started, as the Jewish Sabbath still does, with evening, and the morning came later. So the light did eliminate, did not eliminate the darkness, it just reclaimed it. Here is the hope that we find. Even if we are in the darkness now, even if we are facing some things in the shadows and the chaos that really scare us, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And we cannot have a dawn without the darkness that comes first. So the point is this, some beautiful and amazing things begin in the darkness. God's first words were uttered in the darkness. The salvation of Nicodemus began with a solitary trip through the darkness, which ended with perhaps the greatest lesson that any teacher has ever uttered, the lesson that God loves the world so much that God would send his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Even the victory of Easter begins in the dark. And again, Barbara Brown Taylor helps us see the truth. This discovery came to her while she was touring a massive complex of underground caverns in West Virginia known as Organ Cave, All of a sudden, she was hit by an epiphany as she was down in that darkness. Jesus was born in a cave, she said, and he rose from the dead in a cave. She continued with these words. As many years as I have been listening to Easter sermons, I have never heard anyone talk about that part. Resurrection is always announced with Easter lilies, and the sound of trumpets, bright streaming light. But it did not happen that way. If it happened in a cave, that means it happened in complete silence, in absolute darkness, with the smell of damp stone and dug earth in the air. Sitting deep in the heart of Oregon Cave, I let this sink in. New life starts in the dark, whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. And if we didn't know what we know, we might think that sounds like a bad thing. But because God lifted the lid on creation, because God said, let there be light, 
and began a divine restructuring of the created order because God lifted the lid of that tomb, rolled it away, and unleashed the light of the world. The darkness does not need to remain a place that is scary, dangerous, or dreaded. It has been transformed and is being transformed into something that has a new name. It is the night that is always ended by the dawn of a new day. It becomes a place where old, decaying things die and a new creation begins. We have seen some scary darkness in this young year. And it's one thing to disagree over policies or approaches, but it is something else altogether to sabotage something, to want to hurt or destroy something just because you're not getting your way. The former is something that can be done in the light. The latter lives and lurks in the shadows. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may be not exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So lift the lid, Holy Spirit. Shine your cleansing light, O God, on those things in our nation and in those things in our lives closer to home that need to be reclaimed, reformed, and reborn. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.